We're going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 9 and starting in verse 1 and going to 6. And Moses said, Hear Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and you've heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them and he will subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. It's pretty heavy. Uh, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity. You are going in to take possession of the land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, wow, what a warning. Um, I think people, including me, I'm very fascinated by those people who are able to somehow miraculously predict things. And uh, one such guy is uh, Michael Burry and the movie in the book, The Big Short. I don't know if you've seen that. I saw that like a little while ago. And uh, uh, it was written by Michael Lewis. And the protagonist, Michael Burry, is a hedge fund manager. And in 2005, he was able to predict the, the, uh, the, the, the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008. And when he was trying to bet against the market and setting up all these deals with, you know, all these, all these firms, uh, people were just laughing at him like, what? Who bets against the real estate market? He's crazy. So most people thought he was an idiot. And his own clients during the, the whole time when they were just losing money because he was, he was betting against the market, uh, there was a revolt. They were like emailing, calling him, you know, I want my money back. What are you doing with my money? And he just like shut everybody out because he really believed that, um, that something bad was going to happen. Uh, he made $100 million for himself and several million um, for his clients. Uh, and he's an interesting guy. So I have a picture of him actually um, up there. But and that, the, other, the Christian Bale plays him. Christian Bale acts really weird in the movie. The actual Michael Burry is a really chill guy. He's a normal guy. I don't know why he acts like that. Um, maybe because he's weird. Um, but my point is, is that Moses, he's like that kind of guy. He, he has a special quality. So Michael Burry has this interview, like this real interview about like why he thinks that he was able to like see all these things. And you know, he, part of it is like he says that he has like these Asperger-like qualities. He grew up with a glass eye. And because of these things, he was always looking at things that nobody else was looking at. He was paying attention to things that nobody else was paying attention to. And that just, for some reason, just worked out really well for him. Moses is like that. And he gives this warning. 
he gives a really, really intense and special warning, but it's largely overlooked. It's very contrarian, and it, and it's, it sounds like nothing. And that's understandable, right? Hey, don't say this to yourself. Okay, good luck. And it's like, all right, I won't say that to myself. But the, the, the reason why this, these things are overlooked is because of the, the sensational qualities of the other things that the Israelites were concerned about. What were those other things? Uh, they just had this really big scandal, uh, the, um, the golden calf incident. Do you guys remember that? Where Moses was away, and he was getting the law from God, and they built this golden calf, and they said, you know what, Moses isn't coming back. Who is this God that he's talking about? Let's build ourselves an idol. And this is worshiping this idol. They're, they're, they're obsessed with it. And so there's that, right? Moses keeps bringing that up. He's like, you guys did that. Remember that. You're not perfect. You're not, you're not righteous. You did that. You turned away from God. There were the 613 Old Testament laws, and there were the Ten Commandments. I mean, there's a lot to keep in mind, right? Like, there's all the stuff that the Israelites have to do. So it's easy to overlook this thing that, that Moses is trying to warn them about. And the reason why I know that this was probably one of the most important things to be concerned about, but the thing that everybody forgot was because by the time of Jesus, right? Fast forward hundreds of years. By the time of Jesus... You know the Israelites in Judea, they weren't building golden calves. They were staunchly against it. They were staunchly entrenched in the, the, the Old Testament laws. They were obeying them to the T, right? Like everything. But the one thing that Jesus points out to every religious leader, every religious person he meets, the one thing that, he, that, that bothers him the most, right, Jesus, the Son of God, his greatest opponents were the people who were the most self-righteous. They had convinced themselves of their own righteousness. And so that's how I know that this was overlooked. They were good with all the other laws, not with this. And Jesus saw through all of it. And he blasts it because he's saying essentially to them, throughout the whole New Testament, the whole, all the Gospels, you are not innately better than these other people. Just because you do this and that, it doesn't make you better. John the Baptist said it. Don't say I have Abraham as a father. God can raise up stones to Abraham. That's not what it's about. And so there's an important observation that was made by John Calvin. I'm not a Calvinist. I like John Calvin, but I'm not a Calvinist. He's a French theologian during the Reformation. And in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he has these, in the very first chapter, in the very first two points, he makes these very important two points. And I think it's just brilliant, like how he's able to see through everything and say these are really important. This is the whole purpose of theology, right? He says in the first point, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And the second point is like it. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And in the second point, this is his quote. He says, we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. To ourselves, right? This pride is innate in all of us. 
And then he says, we must infer that man is never, suffi- man is never suffi- sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his, holy, of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. And so my goal is twofold. The first is to convince you of how bad self-righteousness is. And the second is to explain how the Bible teaches us to deal with it. Okay, So the first point here uh, of the first part, self-righteousness starts in the heart. And when we go back to our text in verse 4, uh, he, says, he says something. He says, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me out because of my righteousness. And that word to yourself isn't just to yourself, it's to your heart. And it starts in the heart. It's something that grows from within. It's not like, don't go and tell people that you're, you're all that. He's like, no, forget about that. When you start to tell yourself and you start to buy into your own hype, stop it. Just stop it. Stop it right there. And I want to make a, a, a kind of a, a statement about this that I believe from what I've read and seen that this self-righteousness or this pride, this spiritual pride, it's an outgrowth. And because You know how I know this is a, affects everybody? Not just a few people, not just the people you, you see on TV or on YouTube or very, like, like they preach condemnation. Is because it, it's an outgrowth of insecurity and shame. And all of us deal with insecurity and shame. It's an outgrowth of failed pursuits and a failure to receive the love that we needed growing up. Whether it be in your childhood or adolescence, And when you get older, as you get older, those insecurities just mount. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. You go from this happy, spontaneous kid to somebody who's moping and upset and angry and confused. And that's understandable. That in itself is not the problem, right? The problem is how we cope with that. How do we cope with our insecurities? We all hurt each other. And the way that we hurt each other the most and the way we hurt God the most is when we start to construct that false self-image to comfort our insecurities, to make ourselves feel better, to, make our, to, to, to say it's okay, to get a jolt of happiness about how cool or how good I am or how much money I make or how good I look today. And the reason why we do that is because we want to earn that love and that that acceptance that we really do need. And these are good needs. They're needs that we all have. It's our strategies. That's the problem. The way we go about getting them. Jesus deals with this, right? All throughout the gospel. He he radicalizes. I don't want to use that word in that other way that you know on TV. I use that word like in its actual meaning, the root, radical. It comes from like radish, root, right? He gets down to the root of things always. He's never surface level. He's never like, oh, you, you, you hate your neighbor. That's what makes you bad. He says, no, you hate your neighbor. You judge them in your heart. You think you're better than them. That's what makes you evil. It's the conversation we have with ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And, and more important, 
And the, the message of the gospel is you are important and you're super loved and you are more than accepted by God. And, and I, I think that's why when Jesus talks in, in the Sermon on the Mount and he gives all these really hard things to do, right? You read the Sermon on the Mount. We just preached on it a few sermon series ago. You can go back to that. It's so hard. But I believe that Jesus was really, really confident that that love of God that you would experience when the Holy Spirit touches you and when he fills you, he was so confident that that would change you, that he was willing enough to say it. And Jesus came for that purpose, to express that love of God to us. So does he expect us to live up to those radical standards? Yeah, I think he does. Because I think he was just that confident in that love, that powerful love of God. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. It's not by my might or your might or our strength or false images that we construct of ourselves that we can get through this life. But it's by the spirit of God and primarily the spirit of God. It gives you power. And power is, you know what real power is? It's love. I have, when I remember when I was dating Janice, the power that I had, I mean, I, could, I can go on like three hours of sleep every day, right, just to go out and see her. That's power. When you're passionate about something or someone, you have power. And when the Holy Spirit gives you power, it's just a metaphor for love, Incre- in- intense, inc- incredible love. The second thing of the first part is self-righteousness grows dangerous after we are successful, after we're successful. So if you look in verse 4, he says, um, and I lost it. Uh, In verse 4, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, right? It's it's always after. It's not like before. Nobody's ever like, when I'm struggling and trying to make it, nobody's ever like, hey, let's have a party, guys. I already made it. We already won the tournament. People look at you like you're crazy. The temptation always comes after achievement, success, and getting what you want. And so I think that's really important because especially for people and those of us who have come from hard places. Um, Why I say that? It's because Israel came from a hard place. They were slaves. They struggled. They were humiliated. Wandering around in 40 years in the desert, that looks like failure to everybody. The people are laughing at you. What are you doing? Just hanging out in the desert 40 years. You're supposed to be a great nation. And so imagine the amount of insecurity that was just piling up inside of Israel. Like, oh man, people are looking at us saying, we're not, we're not doing it. We're not doing it, but we have to get through this. And by the time they get to the point where they know they're going to be successful, Moses tells them, be careful. After you get this, there's going to be a big temptation for you to say, man, I did this because there must be something good about me. Smart or something or just our people. We're just good people. God saw that. That is a slippery slope, right? Moses was saying that's a slippery slope to nowhere. And, and the, the, the thing that this does, I don't want to go too long, this thing, the thing that this does is it affects our life of faith. It stops us from experiencing God to the fullest. You know how many, the religious people of, his, of, of first century in Jesus' time, the leaders, the leaders, they missed out on the greatest revival in world history. 
And since then, there have been revivals. And it was always the super religious, self-righteous folks who missed out. And they stay in their own enclaves and they say, we're, we're the righteous ones. They're crazy. And amazing things are happening. You know, people are being raised from the dead and healed and, and all kinds of amazing things are happening. And pe- people who never believed who Jesus was were suddenly flooding into the church and they're still saying, no, nah, those guys are crazy. Self-righteousness, then it hardens into an identity and it goes from you becoming a Christ-righteous person to a self-righteous person. And that's dangerous. How did Jesus handle those people who were successful religiously or even economically? Man, he challenged them. He opposed them. It it says in Mark 2, 16 and 17, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yo, who said they were tax collectors and sinners? These religious people gave them that title. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need, a, who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that, that's kind of ir- irony there. There's nobody who's righteous, right? But they're saying and claiming that they're more righteous than other people. And Jesus is saying, I don't need you, and you don't need me. You're missing out. That's your identity. I, I did some ministry in Rikers as a life coach, and, and a lot of those guys, you know, they're, they're pretty proud people. They're not like, the most humble people you meet. But anytime you bring up God, you just see them then change. When it came to God and spiritual things, they were the most humble people you ever met. I know I'm not living it. I'm, I know I'm not right. I know I'm imperfect. And I remember one guy I was working with, he came to me after several months of me working with him. He says, I got a confession to make. I'm still doing drugs. Does God accept me? And I didn't hesitate. I was like, yeah, he accepts you. He loves you. He won't stop accepting you. And he started crying. And there might be some who might say, yo, man, you can't say that. And I thought, like, here's a person who struggled to have love his whole life and acceptance his whole life. And that insecurity led him to do things that he regrets. Who am I, right? Who am I to tell him no? I don't think that's even the truth. More than my ability to beat someone up, I trust that God's love can change hearts. Amen? Jesus befriended the sinners and they loved him. They couldn't stop following him. He forgave those who were humble enough to ask. And that's all he actually ever wanted. But he exposed the threatening religious system and they killed him for it because pride and spiritual pride and self-righteousness is a thing that you can hide very well. And when there's somebody who exposes it, I mean, that, that them fighting words. And that's why they heard Jesus, right? After you enter the promised land and the presence of God and to getting what you One, what God has for you. Remember this. It was not by your faithfulness. It was by his. And so how do do we beat it? How do we we manage it? I want to walk through this really quick, okay? Um, First thing is to remember our roots. 
in, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6, um, he says here, I've got to find it. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. You've got to remember your roots. You've got to go back and remember where you came from before you had him. And I think that the interesting thing is like this. Um, every time you, every time for me at least, the reason why I bring up this point, every time for me that I start to see that in myself, it helps me to look back at who I was and how I got here and that it wasn't by my own hand. It helps me. It just, like, hey, you didn't get here by yourself, man. It was God. It was all God. You have to tell that to yourself before you tell that to other people. Because I feel like a lot of us, including myself, I tell that to other people, but I'm not always telling that to myself. Tell it to your own heart. The second thing is this. You have to name it in yourself. Name the self-righteousness in yourself. Deuteronomy 9.13, we didn't read this, but it's a few verses ahead of where we read. And it says, And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and they are stiff-necked people indeed. Right? And they're naming it. Moses is naming it. You're a stiff-necked people. Right? Uh, my cousin John in California, he had a dog. When we were kids, he had a Rottweiler. And the Rottweiler is so cute. And we'd be eating like sandwiches or something. And he'd be sitting there staring at us. You know, do- dogs do this. They just stare at you when you're eating. Because they, they think they're going to get a piece of that ham and cheese. And then the funny thing about uh, Puma, his name was Puma. We'd be eating and we'd look at Puma and he'd do this. He'd be looking at it and he'd be like... And you, you, look, you, go, you look back at your sandwich and he, and he looks back at you. In some ways, self-righteousness is like that. Like, you look at it, it's like, oh, you know? The, the interesting thing about it is it's just like pride. When you notice it, it starts to weaken. Oh, no, pride, sorry, pride and humility are similar in this sense. When you notice it, they start to weaken. When you notice you're being humble, what happens? You're not humble anymore. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm being proud again. But when you're proud and you notice it, immediately starts to weaken. When I'm talking to my wife, when I'm, ang- when I'm angry or when I'm arguing, and I start to notice, it, man, you're, you're being really self-righteous right now. Automatically, just interruption. Interrupts my brain. But here's another way to look at it. The most potent pride is hidden. And the most potent humility is also hidden from you, from yourself. We don't know how pride we are, how proud we are, until we actually ask the people who are close to us. And the best kind of humility is the humility that we don't even know that we have. But I think what's also really important here is that when we name it in ourselves, in Psalm fifty-one seventeen, the psalmist says, the sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. And in Matthew twenty-three twelve, I'm just giving you some verses here to back, back this up. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The righteous do not need God, but those who are willing to admit who they are and they know themselves, 
Those are the people who are accepted by God. The, and last, this is the last thing here is um, that we have to look to a mediator. In, in uh, Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse uh, 18 and 20, we also didn't read this, but it's, it's a little bit ahead. Moses said to, to, to Israel, he's telling them what happened. He said, once, Then once again I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of all the sin you had committed doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. That's, that's, and he says, I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me, and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. And at that time, I also prayed for Aaron. Like, the last thing that I want to say, the last way that we can manage this, is that we have to look to the mediator. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Moses was a type of Jesus. Moses, when Israel did all these things, he went to God and he said, God, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to fast 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to pray to you because I love my name. I love these people. God even tempted him. He was like, tested, tempted. No, not tempted. He tested him and he said, I'll make a great nation out of you. Forget those guys. He says, no, 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 no. They're your people. Don't forsake your people. Moses did that for them. Guess who does that for us? The book of Hebrews says, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus does the same thing for us. His blood speaks a better word than every claim, than than anybody who can defend you. There's no defense better than the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. Amen? And he's the only mediator we need. And so coupled with this is prayer. When you see the pride in you, and you name it, when I see it, we have to pray. When you're walking through the mall and you're starting to brood, and you're starting to get upset about something, you pray. You know, I know it's from my insecurity, Lord. I know this is coming from a place of weakness. Please help me. Please give me strength. I want to ask us to um, bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and I'd also want to invite you to stand, to pray. Um, we're going to have a little bit of a response time here. And, and this time I, I want to ask if, if you want to like make this real, like make managing self-righteousness and pride and all these things real, and you know you, you have it, and you know you're, you're struggling with it, I know I do. Maybe I think this time is a good time to ask God, what, what are these things, Lord God, that are in my own heart? Can you show them to me? Or even later, if you can't figure that out today or now, when you go home, ask somebody. I'm going to give you some homework. <laughs> when you go home, um, find somebody you trust, significant other, friend, parent, somebody you trust is not going to like just hurt you. And you're going to ask them what you are self-righteous about, how you are self-righteous or proud. And I'll do it when I go home with Janice. 
And if, and if they say something and you don't like it, I think the best thing to do is just confess it, apologize, have a conversation about it, and then ask that person to pray for you. I think that's a good way to make this real and to, and to go home with something in our hands to do in a way that will draw us closer to God and even closer to the people we love and that love us. So I want to invite you to do that. Can we just take this, take a few moments to just talk to God? Say, God, what, what's in my heart? What's something that I haven't really let go of? And I've been super self-righteous about. Help him to, help, please re- reveal that to me, Lord. I'll give you a few moments to do that and I'll close this prayer.